your business is a living, breathing thing. You have to keep your finger on the pulse of it. And I remember the day that I was like, what are we doing? The only thing that's holding this business back is me. Welcome back to the Entrepreneur Studio Podcast. Today, we are continuing our conversation with celebrity chef and founder of Milk Bar Bakeries, Christina Tosi. In part one of our conversation, Christina shared about the origins of her love for baked goods, the foundational influences that helped shape her career and what it takes to build a successful business. Today, Christina shares with us some of the mindsets and daily practices that get her out of her comfort zones, spark creativity, and fuel her passion. Be sure to see the show notes of this episode for links to Christina's work, as well as to the Entrepreneur Studio. Thank you for listening. This is part two of our conversation with Christina Tosi. Have you ever heard the saying, most people overestimate what they can do in a year mm. and underestimate what they can do in 10? Mm. And I like something you talk about. I think it was something along the lines of like defying what's possible in a day, mm. right? So like talk to us a little bit about that. How do you attack a day? Ooh, <laughs> Ooh. with all my might. My favorite thing to do is to surprise myself. Mm. It's my favorite thing to do. I'm an introvert, so my favorite thing to do is to force myself to do things that are very uncomfortable for me socially. Mm. It stinks, right? Like my head is going like, no, mm-hmm. no, 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 no. We don't want to do this. We don't want to do it. But my favorite thing to do is to push myself out of my comfort zone and to surprise myself. And in a day, I'm looking at everything from like the calendar on my phone to say like, okay, whose birthday is it? Who's celebrating something? What time am I waking up? What can I squeeze into moments and days? How can I pack my day full of challenge and progress progress and productivity? But also I like to pepper in the like, whatever it is like, all right, can you do a hundred pushups today? Or, you know, like I, it's not just challenging myself from a professional standpoint, it's challenging myself in those ways. Or like, who haven't you called and said hi to in a while? Who haven't you gone on a walk with? Like, how do you challenge how you show up in the world in all the ways in which are important to you. And for me, it's it's more than just being in business and building Milk Bar. And I love that because I get home at the end of the day, whether it's super late at night or kind of early or whatever it is, and I take stock of the day truly and I go, how did I do today, yeah. right? Like what what did I do that pushed me a little further, made me better? Like can't get everything done. I can't I can't do all of those things in a day, but those are some examples for me of when I take stock at the end of the day like what makes me feel good showed up for a coworker that's having a hard mm-hmm. time, right? Like had a difficult conversation even though it was mm-hmm. <laughs> awkward to have, right? Yeah. Like all of those realistic things of like did I grow or did I help the place, the community that I'm a part of mm-hmm. become better? by modeling, by action, whatever it is. Mm. I just, I like to, def- it's like, defi- I can't defy gravity. Gravity is a pretty, <laughs> it's a pretty set formula here on earth, but I like to defy what I can do in a day. I, I truly, in Greta land, like I like rules. I like to know what the rules are. Mm-hmm. And then I really love to challenge who makes the rules yeah. and who says that that is the rule, who mm-hmm. says I can't do this early in the morning or in the middle of my day or late at night. Mm -hmm. I think that is a mindset that serves entrepreneurs on every level because the second you say, oh, it's my my rule book to write, Mm -hmm. the second possibility, so much possibility truly opens up to you. See, that's amazing because it's like, what you're talking about, I, I I love this effervescence of like, what can I do? It's just all this creativity of all these different things. You're like hundred push-ups and like, you know, who haven't I called and all these things bubbling up. And I think what is amazing about what you're talking about is this is a practice and a routine that seems to come naturally to you. And it does that doesn't come naturally to everybody, but you're talking about it sounds like you've been practicing this uh, building this muscle where you're like, I gotta push. And so what what I'm wondering is, do you think that the practicing of making yourself uncomfortable unlocked additional creativity? Oh, for sure it does. For sure it does, for sure it did. There's, when you learn how to unlock that creative door in your head, 
it's much easier to create. It's much easier to problem solve. It's much easier to deal with whatever hand you're dealt in a day, in a week, in life. And it forces you to not just take the first option or the first door Mm -hmm. when something goes great or doesn't go as planned. It forces you to be flexible and nimble in your mind. Mm. And I think that is an incredible skill to tether to doing the thing that you're passionate about, right? Like there are things that are rigid and then there are things that are flexible, like Mm -hmm. rigidity, it's a baked good, Mm -hmm. right? Like it's dessert, you know, there are things that are always gonna be true and then things that don't have to be true at all. And I think that that mindset, it's a survival mechanism. Mm -hmm. It's it's both a skill and a survival mechanism Mm -hmm. because if you're always flexible in mind, then when someone tells you something's not possible, bad idea, don't open the business, don't grow the business, don't do it this way, do it that way, it forces you to acknowledge that everything is ever-changing and everything is an evolution and no one has all the answers. And that is a very, those are very big survival pieces of building a business and operating a business, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think about the years of Milk Bar and I think about the ebbs and the flows. And if I was rigid in my thinking, we would never be able to get to where we are today. I mean, I probably would never open the business because it's a, that's a terrible business idea. <laughs> Open a bakery with things like I'm gonna I'm gonna make you a chocolate chip cookie, but there's not gonna be all chocolate chips. It's gonna have pretzels and potato chips and butterscotch and oats and graham crackers. I'm gonna put a little bit of coffee in because it just makes sense, you know. We're not gonna serve vanilla ice cream, but we're gonna serve this ice cream that tastes like what's left in your bowl after you eat all the cereal out of it, right? Like this idea that breaking convention would actually be a thing that lights other people's like souls and bellies yeah. and imagination on fire, but I really think it's about the flexibility and the nimbleness of mind that allows us even outside of business to survive as humans. What we do on a regular basis makes no sense in perfect sense. Mm -hmm. The world that we live in evolves and is evolving quicker than we're going to be able to To absorb Mm -hmm. and adapt to. And so getting really uncomfortable and loving being uncomfortable because it humiliates us, but it also humbles us, like these tensions, right? I think it's just one of the healthiest things. And the second you get comfortable being uncomfortable, the second you're not like the awkward younger daughter, the redhead, you know, like the second that all the things that you think are negatives are like, ah, that's my thing. The second you acknowledge that you're the one in control and it's just about how you see it and you reference it, and by the way, because you're flexible in thought, that can change every single day. That's awesome. I wonder when you're starting up Milk Bar, Mm. what is like the thing that maybe surprised you the most or what's kind of like the most memorable thing that you're like, ah, I didn't know that was gonna happen. (laughs) This is a good one. One of my first lessons that I learned in opening Milk Bar I have this great idea. It's this quirky American style bakery. We're gonna do riffs on cookies, cakes, pies, and ice cream, formats that people know, but in flavor combinations and techniques that are super cool, that make sense to us. And the menu is gonna have all of those great ideas on it, right? Because you gotta give it your all. (laughs) Chris, I open the doors. Let's make it crowded on the menu. I mean, I open the doors that first day, and I think three or four days in, I mean, that line moved at a snail's pace. One, because we had no clue what we were doing running a bakery. We had maybe worked at bakeries before, but we hadn't thought about, I don't know, mock service. In in the restaurant industry, we'd call it friends and family. You invite your friends. They're going to be the least judgmental <laughs> yes. people to come and be we're your little guinea on them. pigs. And, and, and. But I realized that the most important thing that I realized was that not every single one of your great ideas needs to hold space in your business at any given time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had overwhelmed our incredible customers in the East Village of New York City with so many options and not options like, do you want a chocolate chunk cookie or do you want a peanut butter chocolate chunk cookie, right? It's like, do you want a pistachio lemon layer cake with <laughs> milk crumbs? 
So you can make your own milkshake by choosing these six different flavors of soft serve, these eight different flavors of milk. I think I had 12 different toppings for your soft serve, including fingerling potato chips, like, you know, the little mm-hmm. fingerling potatoes. Mm-hmm. We would microplane them into oh, cold water and mm-hmm. fry them fresh every morning and salt them right. Like we were so in love with the pursuit of this idea that we couldn't see the forest through the trees. We did eventually, but this idea of knowing how and when to edit yourself and the idea that you can have a bunch of great ideas and you can be flexible about how and when you try the different ideas on for size. It's not to say any of them is a bad idea, but one of your worst ideas could be trying to prove all of your great ideas are great ideas at the same time. And being really humble to say, for us, opening Milk Bar, opening this business, of course it was, it's a passion. There is an ego to it. There is a pursuit about it, but it's the greta-ness of delivering a plate of cookies, right? I'm doing it because I wanna feed you something that's gonna just get you, right? Mm-hmm. It's gonna speak to your soul. It's gonna make you feel seen. It's gonna tap into something and make you feel new and in So it's not really about how many things I think are great ideas on the menu. As long as I have a mechanism to know how something great makes it to the menu, we're doing it in service of people. So whatever they say is the most meaningful and sticky and delicious, it's a conversation. It's a conversation whether you realize it's a conversation Mm. or not. And we were able to figure out um, even though you, inevitably you're going to pull something off the menu that is someone's favorite, yep. you know, cookie or cake or pie, but you realize that you show up every day for the people that you work with, but you all you all collectively choose to show up every day because of the work you do in the world. And from there, does it matter whether it's birthday cake or I don't know, like carrot cake, cream cheese, frosting, soft serve. No, because as long as all those things bring us joy, it just matters what thing is going to bring you the most joy. So the editing process and the humility that that takes, I think is really important. And finding that balance of like passion and science or art and science, I think is really important. Yeah, that was one of the things I was, I really wanted to chat with you about is the artistry versus the science of some of this. And what I see is that you're trying to create a connection right because the connection yes. if you if you can invite people into your passion and they enjoy it with you there's a connection and that really doesn't happen the connections don't happen through clutter mm. right they mm. they come through whatever you're doing right and you have to it's like i always say like a confused mind always says no and it's like if people mm. come in and there's like a long line and they're like i'm confused i'm going to walk out or man this menu's giant very few uh, restaurants can make the leap from lots of options and hey, execute your own creativity, right? Because that's a very particular type of buyer, type of customers for them to execute their own creativity. They want to experience yours, right? And for you to curate that, I believe is the best way to foster a connection Mm. is if you can understand your customers and experiment with some things, knowing that there are going to be some misses and there are going to be some big hits, you know, that is really where that that is that is fostering the connection. That's creating the connection and introduces you to more and more people. And then you've got different, you know, you've got different sort of gates that the business can go through when you've when you've created that connection. It's true. It's true. We talk a lot when we're creating at Milk Bar, even today, 14 years in, right? We talk a lot about we love the things that we make. Mm-hmm. And there's this interesting dichotomy because it is the compliment of a lifetime that people say like, the milk bar birthday cake is is the birthday cake. It's my birthday cake. It's my family's birthday cake. It's my best friend's birthday cake, right? It's the cake we go back to every single year. And it is the compliment of a freaking lifetime. For right? sure. And when we're in our kitchen, our R&D department, our research and development, our research and desserts department, <laughs> We are constantly looking at that birthday cake and we love it, but we're also looking at it and we're going, who's going to dethrone the birthday cake? Like mm-hmm. who's got the next flavor combo? Who's got the next idea? So I think it, it's both really, it's the Sisyphean nature of rolling that boulder up a hill and loving that part of the business while also being flexible and nimble of thought to say, what else do we have? I think a great business needs both. Yeah. Right, you don't have the trust and the confidence of 
your customer base, whoever your customer base is, if you can't prove that you are trustworthy and reliable and constant and consistent every single day. Being that in business also makes you a great human being because mm-hmm. that's what we all want in life, are mm-hmm. people that we can feel those, attach those same adjectives oh, yeah. to. While also feeling fresh and new, like there is always opportunity to invent or reinvent and revisit. And I think that mix of art and science is really important and it really is a hallmark to Milk Bar. And even when I look around at other chefs, what I have ascertained at least in like the 25 plus years I've been in the industry is, I think the chefs that look back and sort of go like, I don't understand, like I was doing something and then it stopped being this thing. And it is really hard as a creative person to be consistent and do the same thing every day because that doesn't feed the creative parts of our brains. And we think that if we're not feeding the creative parts of our brains, we're not being successful creatives. Mm -hmm. But I would beg to argue that to be successful, you need both. Some people don't think they're creative at all, by the way, which I am a very big proponent of demystifying in people. It's like people saying, I'm not a baker, that's not my thing. And baking might not be your thing, but being creative and pushing yourself into an identity that maybe you just haven't discovered yourself. We're both right brain and left brain. We're both art and science. And I think a great business has to be both in order to be successful. Well, I mean- Over a long period of time, right? Yeah, it is Not one year of success or five years of success, but really making your business stand the test of time. If you're super passionate about it, you don't want it to go anywhere. You only want it to continue to gain success. I think that's an important formula. It's really interesting you talking about the the creativity and the art and the science, and there's the discipline that you put into stretching yourself and doing something new or or finding a way to challenge yourself. That created some you know creative muscle there, and I think you had to do the same thing with the business, mm. challenging yourself, challenging mm. yourself to try something new and create space for that uh, experimentation, right? It sounds like that's what you're doing, right? Because I, I think one of the best things about you know businesses like yours, right, is it's this being able to reinvent itself while also maintaining what made you great. Mm, that's exactly it, that's exactly it. I would even, I remember the day, I don't know how far in it was to Milk Bar, but I remember the day that I had to have the conversation with myself to call myself out to sort of go, hey, guess what, girlfriend? You were being so protective of the business. The, the My business journey, which I think is like many people's business journey is, you have this idea, it doesn't exist in the world. You, with all of your might, figure out how to take one step forward, how to get it open, how to just start somewhere, Something happens, it's an opportunity to take a step forward day in and day out. You have a business, okay, Mm -hmm. you have a business. You can pay your bills, you've got it kind of figured out. You're having a good time, you're figuring it out. You've got a business, it's not going anywhere. I did this thing, which I think is quite common in business where you start to fear things. Mm. You, You all of a sudden have people depending on you, whether it's your team or your customers or your family or all of those things. And you found your groove, but you almost get comfortable in your groove, right? It's somewhere between when you first start, when you have proven that you figured it out, but it's before what I would call the messy middle, which I'll come back to, um, where you are worried somehow this, this, dialogue happens in your head where now you have a lot of people to protect. You have a lot of people counting on you. Mm -hmm. You have all these things that you never had to worry about before because you just had to prove out that your passion and your idea could exist and that it was a good idea. Mm -hmm. And I stopped being flexible in thinking. Mm -hmm. I stopped, I stopped applying these very principles to our business. And what was happening was the world around us was changing so much quicker than we were able to grow. Um, The needs of the business, even from a resource standpoint, were more than we were bringing in as profit year over year. And more than anything, our customers needed and were looking for and were curious about things that we just weren't necessarily meeting the needs of. Like We took years to be on social media, Mm -hmm. years, because I was like, I. 
ah, we run a bakery. I don't, I'm not, I don't, this, this sounds like white noise, right? Like I literally like almost became my grandma's. I, I like really embodied that I can't wait to be an old lady mindset, but somewhere in between, I got too big for my britches of like, I know what our business is. I know who we are. I know what makes us tick to almost fear of the unknown because it felt like white noise or the lack of focus or, or, or. And I totally missed the obvious piece, which is your business is a living, breathing thing. You have to keep your finger on the pulse of it, right? You have to always be thinking and open and, and, and. You're gonna make mistakes. You're gonna be rigid when you should be flexible, et cetera, et cetera. But they're all really humbling moments. And I remember the day that I was like, what are we doing? The only thing that's holding this business back is me. Mm. And it was because I was operating from a place of fear. I was operating from a place of a very rigid mindset, a fear of the unknown. They're all real things that are gonna happen to all of us in business, right? Where I don't know what the answer is to your point, the mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. I, I can't make a decision. So I'm just gonna say no to everything. Um, but I think every single entrepreneur in the span of their business's lifetime has to get to a point where they say, the thing that's holding this business back is me. Because as leaders, as entrepreneurs, we're living, breathing humans that are fallible and are going to evolve sometimes in the wrong direction from the needs of the business. Yeah, I I think what you're saying is one of the most powerful things that you've really talked about is a a commitment to paying attention. Mm. It's like... um, you're sitting there, you know, talking about how you can be creative and how you can uh, have the. We talked about check-ins and and checking in on yourself and checking in on the the business, and the paying attention is like if you can see the signals, right? And if you're paying close attention, you're going to see like, hey, you know what? Things are changing. Mm-hmm. The world around us is changing. The customers changing. The thing that I think is interesting is failure tends to be a surprise. And it's like, if you're paying attention, it shouldn't be a surprise, That's you know? Right. Now, macroeconomic climate aside, right? The reality is if you're paying attention, the fear of failure should diminish because you're listening. That's right. And I, I think that that's really, that's really a powerful thing, but you built that practice, right? Of paying attention. You built that practice of checking in on yourself and you've, you've built that in. I, I think it's like one of the things like, Remember like when you first learned how to drive a car, it was like you had to think how to not be a passenger anymore. And then you had to start doing all of the things, but then you were being a driver and then it's just, now it's autonomic nervous system taking over and I don't even remember what turns I took, mm-hmm. right? And that is what I think you've been able to do in 14 years, right? Taking some of the sort of mental uh, gymnastics that you were really good at, right? Uh, in your personal life into this entrepreneurial journey in 14 years. And you've been able to sort of distill that routine and it's just you now, instead of it's like, I'm just naturally a good baker. I'm naturally a good entrepreneur. I'm really naturally good at paying attention, hmm. you know? That's a good point. It's yeah. And it's it goes back to that, like you pay attention in yourself first. Mm-hmm because that is what's going to guide you in all of it. But you're right, check in, pay attention. They seem like such simple things, right? You almost have to laugh when you say them. I certainly do. Yeah, they seem so small and trite, But but it's a big deal. They're all big deals. Once you start up, you've got the nexus of an idea, but the next stage in a startup is product market fit. Right, and it's like you find your audience and you find what you're able to do, and so all that decluttering that you did, you have this fit that happened. And I wonder, did that happen in the first location, or when did the product market fit thing happen? What was the sign that you knew you had something to build out uh, more of a foundation for the business? It's such a good question. I knew we were onto something on day one, and I don't take that statement lightly because it's not something that I would, I don't say it in a bragging sense. I just say it in a way I I showed up at early baker hours, which is somewhere between four and 5 Mm AM to like open up the rusty gate on 13th street and second Avenue. And there was a line out the door and not out the door, a line around the corner because the door wasn't open yet. And I thought to myself, 
who are these people and what do they think they're waiting in line for? But through that first day, through opening day, despite, I mean, Chris, I forgot to write the menu. Like we were up, we had, we took literally the top off of a stainless steel table hung it up from the ceiling, used a dry erase marker we found downstairs and just started scribbling. I have the worst penmanship. I really should have been mm-hmm. a passionate doctor mm-hmm. based on my penmanship. Yeah. <laughs> um, sorry, mom. We were so focused on making the most delicious, brilliant things that we had in our heads come to life in food sense that we had no clue what we were doing otherwise. But that first day, watching people sort of say, a cookie with chocolate chips and cornflake crunch and gooey marshmallows. I'll take one of those. I'll take a slice of that crazy cake that's not frosted on the sides. Like there was something about this leap of faith, this connection of nostalgic formats of cookies, cakes and pies and flavors that people got and watching the look on people's faces that first day, I was like, we're in, we're in. Mm. I didn't have time to worry about whether they thought the idea of like a pie with nothing in it, but like gooey, butter, buttery, sugary goodness that we call milk bar pie. And I have time to worry about whether people would think that was a good idea. There was no time for fear of judgment. I just knew the spark in people's eyes, that sparkle, that we were on to something. We were in that first location for about a year. And throughout that year, funny things happened. Mm. Like that was the beautiful beginnings, right? didn't have time to sleep, Uh (laughs) didn't have time to think about how to express who we were and why we did what we did. It just was, it just existed. When customers came in, they dealt with whatever crazy handwriting had written the board for that Mm -hmm. day. Um, so that became however, a thing. Yeah. Okay. However fast or slow we were at moving through the line or making someone's milkshake or what have you, we started shipping baked goods because that's what Greta would do if someone called and said, hey, I want to try this corn cookie, but I'm never going to make it to New York City. We figured out how to ship. But our sweet little 750-square-foot bakery became a storage facility, a shipping hub, most people second or third or fourth home became a waiting room for the restaurant next door. Like it took on so many different sizes and shapes because it was just what we had and we were just in the figuring it out phase. Mm. I never had to think about how do we express to our team who we are and what we believe in and how do we decide when something goes on the menu or doesn't? How do we decide what the price of this brand new layered cake should be. We weren't food costing things. Like we weren't thinking about our margins. To your point, we were barely thinking about product market fit. We just, we were gauging it based on the twinkle in their eye. We didn't even figure out how to slim down the menu and that we were like really just making it harder for ourselves within that first year. But then something happened, right? I had I, I took stock of the business and I was like, there's a lot of bottlenecks here. Mm. So part of my, when I'm, when I am checking in with myself and with the business and I see things are getting a little sort of like awkwardly sized and shaped, the question that I love to ask is what's the bottleneck, mm. right? It usually is the sign that something's getting clogged somewhere in the flow of things. And the bottleneck could be everything from like, we're hand scooping cookies and we need to figure out a better way to, we're mixing the same recipe in the same mixer, we need to scale up, to we need to have a formula to our team and what they believe in mm-hmm. and what we we all agree collectively to believe in and how we are going to build this business. But before we even get there, what is this business and how do we express who we are mm-hmm. and what it is that we share in collectively? And that's sort of like, I would draw, that's where I draw a little bit of like a line in the milk bar history that I call the messy middle. Mm-hmm. It's the beginning of the messy middle. And I say messy because I think you have to make things funny to keep them real. That is true in life. It's yeah. definitely true mm-hmm. in entrepreneurship, but it's, you have that blissful startup phase, a little bit of like a honeymoon period. Again, of course, we like romanticize the hard days and the mm-hmm. days that you're like, I got 30 minutes of sleep. Mm-hmm. I got home just long enough to brush my teeth. You know what I mean? And like change my clothes and then I'm back at it. But 
The messy middle is when you sort of say, okay, I have something. To your point, I have like my product market fit. My business is a business. I can pay my bills. I'm going somewhere here. Or I have a little bit of, I have enough ground under me to not think that I'm just in quicksand or in a yeah. marsh. Do you have some time to work on the business, not in it? There you go. Yeah. That I think is when the messy middle begins. Mm -hmm. And I think the messy middle is real and it's beautiful in all of its ways, but you have to stop and truly take stock of the business. And yeah. You have to say, what is this thing? And what is our intention? What's our mission statement? What yeah. do we believe in? What are our core values? How do we think about bringing someone else into our sweet little workforce ecosystem, mm -hmm. right? Like what do their values need to be? What do we all agree on and what do we agree to disagree on, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that is a really important part of taking the next step in building a business because I mean, what is the saying? There's no I in team. My version of it is no one does it alone. Mm -hmm. No one does it alone. You can't even think about baking something to feed to someone alone. So first things first is, team, right? Like how do you organize yourself? Who is on your team? How do you call your team? Mm -hmm. How do you all think about these things? And in the early days in that first year, if you just worked at Milk Bar, you were imprinted, right? Like yeah. it, it was impossible. It was infectious in the most beautiful way. But as we started getting a little bit hardier of a business under us, we had to solve more complex problems. And one of the complex problems was, was this thing of like who are we and how do we how do we describe who we are? Because it used to be like you're just working the shift next to me. Yeah. You work the shift next to me, you're gonna find out everything you mm -hmm. need to know about how we make decisions, who, you know, X, Y, and Z. And I think talent and culture, that's what we call our human resources mm -hmm. um department, is a really important part of whatever it is you're businesses because no one does it alone and you're not going to be able to get anywhere if you don't figure that piece out. And I think the most challenging part of that was I'm an introvert. I'm not great at doing the talking out loud, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm great at working next to you and being a soldier with you mm -hmm. and showing you everything you need to know by spending time with you, by action, by like servant leadership. I have to put it all down on a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. This is not what I signed up for. It's not Italian. It's not math. It's not baking. And so how do I figure out how to like tear open my chest and like take what's in my heart and show it to other people to say, you in? Mm. Do you believe in these things too? Are you in? Fast forward to today, we have like a mission and values, this sweet little book that I meant to bring it to you, but it's, you know, it has everything from our mission statement to our four core values, which is love it, own it, improve it, inspire it. Mm. Those are our four core values because for me, they're not only the things that I think are the most important part of being a member of our team, which we call hard bodies, mm. but I think they describe your journey at Milk Bar where you come to Milk Bar because there's something about it that you love. Mm -hmm. Maybe you love dessert. Maybe you love the idea of working at a bakery. Maybe you like early mornings or late nights. Maybe you like the playlist that we have on. Maybe you just like making people smile, right? Yeah. But the love it part is like, you're in the right place if you can say, there's something about Milk Bar, this job that I love. Yeah. If, if that's not how you feel, I want to hand you, you know, a nice, a nice cookie warm and a cookie pat on the back. and like wish, like truly wish you luck. Cause we have a ton of friends and maybe there's something else. The second one is own it because once you have started at Milk Bar, there's a part of it where like your first few months are just about our expectation is that you show up excited about where you are and you're going to be, you're going to learn. You're in the learning phase. So it's not own it or it's not love it, learn it. It's just, just show up loving it, right? But there is a point in your trajectory where there's real ownership. One, because every full-time employee at Milk Bar is an owner of the business. That's an important part of how we show up for our team. But also you own what you do. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're training someone else. Maybe you're there. there's a part of ownership where you're like, I know my role, I know my expectations, and I really feel good about them, right? Like yeah. I really feel like I can take some ownership in them. I'm getting my butt kicked a little less mm -hmm. and I'm contributing more than I'm sort of taking. If 
from a from a learning standpoint. Then there's improve it. And for me, that's such a big part of like, you have to know the business that you are building. If you are someone that works there, you wanna know about the business. You wanna believe in the business that you're bringing your all to. And I think the owning it part is important, but I think the improving it part for Milk Bar is really important. Milk Bar is built by the people that are a part of it, that work there, that own a piece of it. And if you don't improve it, if, if I didn't improve it, if the person standing next to me, if Helen Joe didn't improve it or James Mark didn't improve it or, or, or we would never be where we are, right? It's that one step forward every single day mm-hmm improve it mindset, right? Which is there's no like grownups and suits behind the curtain here Mm -hmm. doing this. We are the people that do it. You're in the foxhole. Yeah, Yeah, so you're not just owning your role, but you're really thinking about, there's no set formula for how to build this business. We're building a business that's never existed before and really calling that out. And then the inspire it is when it becomes guttural, right? Like when it becomes, when it's less intellectual and neurotic and more the like, you are not just loving it and owning it and improving it, but you're figuring out how to take it even further from like a far less tangible, inspirational, Mm -hmm. emotional place. And those are really important pieces of the business. For me, like I, I very much believe, I use a lot of my, I've been training for this moment my whole life, right? And saying like, what are the business I loved working for? And what are the businesses that I thought had opportunities to keep me as a great Mm -hmm. person on their team? And the gap for me was always that I either didn't know where the business was going or what the aspiration was, or I couldn't find my way into it or through it. And I think those are really important pieces of, whether someone is with your business for six months or a year or Mm -hmm. 10 years, those are the things that make all the difference in sharing this vision and this dream Mm -hmm. together. Because if you don't have that, you don't have anything. If people don't feel like they have a voice or they don't understand where they're at in their journey, there's a rudderless ship moment. And that's the last thing you want for someone to feel on your team that's helping you build your business and contributing to it. And probably the last thing you want for someone just on a human level in your life. Yeah, that's so good. And I think uh, you came to a moment, right, where you knew you had to be intentional about what you believed and how you think and how you act. And you had to define that. And what do you think was the driver to pick culture, right? Mm -hmm. And to pick people and team as the thing that was like, you know what, not only do we need to sort of uh, build out the the business and, and make sure it's profitable and make sure that we all uh, are, have what we need and have the resources and all that kind of stuff. What was the thing that was just like, you know what, we have to focus on culture? There's probably two parts. I think one part was the food industry is um, an industry that I think when it's not doing a great job, it's commoditizing its workforce in a way that's just like, okay, your your hands and feet and eyes and ears sort of thing, like get to work. And the reality that that didn't line up with the spirit of what that cookie has to convey, right? Mm-hmm. Of the probably working in enough places where you sort of go like, man, I would have totally stayed at the job or that job or that job or that job. And I would have been such a great employee only you didn't care enough, you know, or I wasn't a part, I didn't feel welcomed into what it is we were building. And I felt that just on my own personal journey as such an opportunity in my industry, or at least in the section of the industry that I was hell bent on building. And then, you know, call it what you will, but I think you can taste it. I think, Mm. I truly think you can taste it, right? Like, have you ever had a meal cooked by someone that didn't want to be there, it doesn't taste as good as when your grandma's like, sit on down, mm-hmm. Chris, let me let me make the lasagna or whatever yeah. your meal is. Like you can truly taste when someone cares about what they're doing and what it conveys. And I think that human spirit element is vital. I suppose the other side of it was that we were in the messy middle, which meant I was trying to unlock or unclog these bottlenecks, identify them and then solve for them. I became 
the pseudo pastry chef, right? Because I'm not a restaurant pastry chef. I'm now this quirky American style bakery pastry chef. I went from being like the pastry chef and entrepreneur to being the CEO and the business leader. And I was getting pushed and pulled in a bunch of different directions. And I couldn't be the welcome wagon. I literally couldn't be. I mean, you know me, I would defy what can be done. There will be brownies. (laughs) But I realized that because of the opportunity and the excitement that we had in building the business that who else's role would it be to do that, right? There are people coming in and I'm, I know, okay, I've memorized every single person's name and I know something about them and, 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 but they're still missing something, right? And if you don't teach them about why why Milk Bar exists and where it came from and why them being here is really important to you, if you don't say it, if you don't state it, if you don't express it, it gets missed. And yeah. we were growing. We were literally growing in revenue, but also growing in teammates. And we were all doing our part to express it, but I couldn't be there to do it. And it became clear that my job was not supposed to be the one to be yeah. there to do it. It was something that we all needed to collectively share. Yeah. So it was both, it was out of opportunity that I felt existed, the need for the spirit of the business, and then literally the need for the tactics of the business to exist. Mm. And I had to choose a lane, right? Like Mm. in all of these things, you have to choose, what is your business? What is your product market fit? Is it proving out? You gotta be honest with yourself every step of the way. And I had to choose how it was that I wanted to express what this plate of cookies idea was about. I love it. Uh, and I think that just as your first value, it's love it. Uh, hold on. I'm going to, I think I remember these. It was love it, own it, improve it, inspire it. Right. That's it. So the thing that I love about that is this tension, hearing all of those things, there is a theme of, hey, here are our expectations of you. And also, here are our expectations of us. Can I tell you that that makes me so happy? Why is that? Well, when we, um, when someone's joined the team, we invite you to, we call it Milk Bar 101. And it's not new hire orientation, I suppose, in like big business terms, someone could say, someone from HR would say, that is new hire orientation, but we call it Milk Bar 101. And the very first thing that I say in Milk Bar 101 that I make a point to say is like, you're here because it's important to me that we have this time together. It's important to me that you know what I'm about and what Milk Bar's about and where it came from. I wanna know what you're about, but more than anything, you being here, you're making a commitment to us. It is a revolving door, it is a two-way street. You're not just making a commitment to us. This is not a take, take, take environment. It is a give, take. Mm You're making a commitment to us, but I equally believe that we are making a commitment to you. And it's really important that you know that. You're gonna be imperfect in your commitment. We're gonna be imperfect in our commitment. But if we enter into this knowing that we both believe in this commitment and that each of us is coming into this together, man, that's a pretty cool thing. That's where magic no happens. Those, that's where magic happens. That's where magic happens. And I, the thing that I think is, Awesome. It's all of those things that, you know, the expectations, what we expect of you and what you can expect of us. And it's the things, it only works if we do it together, you know, because yeah. that, that's the together factor that I really liked in, in your values. And I, I wonder how much Christina is in Milk Bar <laughs> and is in the brand or in the values. How much is there? We'll have to ask my mom because she, you know, when do you really start to become self-aware? I don't think I became probably that self-aware until I was graduating from college and I was like, oh, oh, slam. Okay, get with it. I think a lot of the values are the way that I was raised, which which would probably tell you that there's a lot of me in it. And if there are things I disagree with, I would say so. So it's probably, it's a, it's a big part of who I am, but it's a part of who I am that I share with all of the people that have been a big part of Milk Bar mm-hmm. that have taught me, because I didn't just come in with all these great ideas and oh, yeah. I didn't just come in with certain things, but I think the thing that was absolutely true about the opening team of Milk Bar of like four or five people was that we all shared the same values, right? Yeah. Of Of the 
how you do anything is how you do everything. Mm -hmm. We didn't have someone like we had a rule that like if there was a clog in the bat in the in the customer restroom, we were like it's a two person job. Even if even if it's a one person job, because even the dirty, <laughs> you know, like again, you gotta you gotta make things funny to keep them real. But this sort of how you do anything is how you do everything. How you mop the floor because you don't have the resource. Like you're doing all the jobs. Mm -hmm. How you wash the dishes is also. The level that you of technique that you put into making a gorgeous layer cake, or that you you know roll a cake truffle, et cetera, et cetera. It's how creative you are in the kitchen is how creative you are at solving you know your least glamorous business problem. But mm. I think that any entrepreneur, their business is absolutely an extension of who they are, with the asterisk that you have to share your business and your values and where you're going with the people that are a part of it. Like every person that's a part of your business is a part of your mission and values, is a part of making your dream come true, but your dream becomes a shared dream. So I think it's absolutely a reflection of me as a person, but I think it's also in a beautiful way, I tell the team like the fingerprints on our current menu or on our best seller here, this or that, like they can trace back to any single person that has ever been a member of our team. And mm -hmm. I think that that is a source of pride and a rite of passage in equal parts. That's amazing. Uh, it's amazing that you've uh, you've unlocked uh, something really special about culture and it just seems to be like a, a, dr a driver. And I, I wonder what's the, the, you know, it's kind of strange to go to the people side, but I, I have this kind of begs the question of, startup where you're the entrepreneur doing everything. It's all about the product and the customer. And then it's about the business, the culture, the product and the customer, right? <laughs> and then it's about this, you know, now you're CEO, right? And that's a different job. And you mentioned mm -hmm. that earlier. So what's sort of the CEO, the CEO in you, not necessarily, you know, just the entrepreneur or just the, the baker in you. Mm -hmm. What is sort of Milk Bar's story by the numbers? Okay, November 15, 2008, opening day. January, February, 2009, we started shipping mm -hmm. because I hated the idea of saying no to someone that couldn't come to the bakery in person. Let's see, June, 2010, we opened Milk Bar number two. Mm -hmm. September, 2010, we've got a bigger kitchen. <laughs> By the numbers from there, then it really started taking off. but. We right now have 12 milk bars across the country, New York, um, Boston, Washington, DC, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, Vancouver. That number has ebbed and flowed because of you know COVID-19. We got yeah. smarter about how we, how we thought about operating our business. Let's see, June, 2020, we, launched into the aisles of the grocery store, which for me was like the most crazy, epic homecoming for me. The grocery wow. store is like, that's where Greta and I went every mm -hmm. week to go grocery shopping. Mm -hmm. Where do we get our ingredients to bake? You know, That's where so much of my creative inspiration comes from because it's the food that we all eat together. It's how our flavor memories are first formed. We ship all across the country now. We even ship international. I think we're in 8,000 grocery store doors now, which is crazy. So we have 12 of our own. That's <laughs> 8,000 others. We send our, our shipping business, we call our care package business. DTC, before DTC was hot, that's what Greta would call it as a care package. I don't know how many unique addresses we have. I think we have over um, a million social media followers, which is crazy because I was like, <laughs> social media, what's that? But I think in a beautiful way, you have to measure yourself by the numbers, right? Like yeah. one, to your point as a CEO, you literally have to measure yourself by the numbers to be able to deliver on the promises that mm. you're making to your team. But also in a beautiful way, I try not to measure too much by the numbers because I think numbers sometimes have an emotion to them, whether it's what's my year over year growth and how does that comp to last year to, I don't know, how many bakeries is the right number of bakeries or how many products in the grocery store are the right number. That's when you start to get into a little bit of like chasing your reality against someone else's perceived measurement. Mm -hmm. I suppose profitability matters. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
how many people are on our team? Is that the right number? Is that the wrong number, right? Like I try to, at least in CEO land, I try to walk into the door of CEO land, use those numbers because insights are really helpful, especially as you're growing through the messy middle. Mm -hmm. But I try to not let those be the only way that I think about the business, measure the business, or talk about the business. And that's a lesson I've learned, I'd say, over the last two years or so. Yeah, yeah. It's easy to get caught up in being either the title at the top or playing the role of the title at the top. It's really easy to get caught up in what the rules would tell you yeah. a CEO does. And I, I keep going back to the to, to these learnings that again, I know, I know the learnings about them from the last 14 years, but it's always funny to me how much I get caught up breaking my own rules, right? Like being inflexible in the mindset or saying like, this is what a CEO does, so this is what you have to oh, do, yeah. as opposed to this is what a CEO does. It's really important you know what those things are and how to do them and that you have confidence in them. And you are also the CEO, so you get to choose yeah. what what that flexibility of, of mind is or the sort of which rules to follow and which rules to break, which rules should apply to you, not in a kicking and screaming, throwing a temper tantrum, but which ones serve you and your team and the business and which ones don't. And sometimes the answer is not clear and it's 10% this today and 50% that tomorrow. Mm. And I think that's the most fun part. That's when I know I'm having a really good time at work um, when I can look at any part of the business, whether I have my apron on or whether I'm sitting in front of a spreadsheet, mm -hmm. right? And say like, am I having fun today? And mm. it, my answer is usually yes. And the yes is always tethered to because I'm breaking some sort of rule or defying some version of conventional wisdom. I love that. I mean, you know, rules are made to be bent, I guess. They don't always <laughs> have to be broken. I like that. Uh, you know, I think I think it's really interesting you have a business that thrives on connection. And so as a CEO leading the business, it's probably really difficult and probably takes a little bit different of a tone or a, mm. uh, an approach to stay connected to the business because you could get disconnected because you're like, well, it's about the business. That's right. And your business is based on really meaningful connections. That's right. You and know? I can feel, this is my, this goes back to a check-in, right? Yeah. I can, when I'm, over indexing on treating the business like too much of a traditional CEO business, I kind of get sick of myself. Mm. I'm like, ugh, you again? Yeah, you're like, this isn't me, this isn't me. <laughs> yeah, and so I think finding that sense of adventure and play and care all for the sake of connection I'm learning is my counterbalance, is my is the like fulcrum of my teeter-totter. Mm. I it's true for me. It might not be true for other people, or it might absolutely be true for other people. But I think understanding those like tension points is really important. Yeah, you're you're spot on, and I and it shows. One of the things that is really awesome about a big part of your story is you've got a lot of lessons threaded throughout mm -hmm. the decisions you make and the choices that you make. And I want to say two phrases, mm -hmm. and these are these are likely phrases that you uh, use. And I just want you to sort of opine or kind of talk about where they came from and what they mean to you. So the first one is quit waiting for the big moment. <laughs> quit waiting for the big moments. That's my, so my colloquialism is actually just bake the cake. <laughs> Because everyone needs a cheesy pun in their life, but it is, it's the just start mentality. It's the, what are you waiting for? It's the, if you're caught in decision fatigue, t tell that part of your brain to just go take a break and literally just bake the cake. From a baker standpoint, you know, we're taught that cake shows up for birthdays or the really big celebrations, but I, I dare to disagree or I dare to disagree, right? Like I built an entire business on the concept that every day is a perfectly good excuse to find a moment to celebrate and the way to apply that to life on a bigger, larger level is literally just big. What are you waiting for? You waiting for that big moment? You waiting for that big milestone, that big aha? Like, that's not how life works. Mm -hmm. Literally, it is about the hustle. It's about the grind. It's about putting your head down, following that passion, that heartbeat, that instinct in you, and just getting one thing done. 
Do one thing better today than you did yesterday. Take one step, take the step, make it a little bit further, right? Like defy what you can accomplish in a day mm. by just moving that goalpost just a little bit or a lot of bit but it's never gonna be perfect. The time is never gonna be right. You're never gonna be ready and love that you know that. That is like the brilliance of humanity. Just bake the cake. Well said. All right, the second one is uh, desserts can save the world. Uh, <laughs> this is very, okay, so I wrote a book not too long ago that's sort of part memoir, part my approach to life, why, why I do what I do, why I think the world is the way that it is from my from my purview and what I think we need more of in the world. And dessert is a metaphor here and dessert can save the world, but dessert is very much in Greta land, the like, can you imagine what our communities would look like, what our, what our teams would look like, what the people we interact with literally like, as we're going, you know, sitting at a stoplight, if you just adopted a little bit of like the Greta, if you had five plates of brownies or five little Ziploc baggies yeah. of brown, and you just like gave one out to five different people in a day to make them feel like seen. One, it would slow down your life yes. and you'd be a little bit more intentional. And two, the way that dessert does this thing, like dessert is an opt-in course, right? It's not breakfast, it's not lunch. It's, it can be any of those things if you ask me, but, <laughs> but <laughs> dessert is not one of those meals. It's definitely not part of the FDA food pyramid and no. at least the last that I checked. And so dessert has this power to hold this thing that goes far beyond the birthday. It goes far beyond the graduation or the baby shower, those big milestones. And it's, it's this thing that we let into our lives. And we welcome it in when no one's looking in the form of something that I call a dirty dessert secret. It's like mm. the dessert you make that you don't tell anyone you make. Mm -hmm. When you're having a good day or a bad day, you just wanna like want, want the world to just melt away and disappear. And dessert is the thing that we use to say like, I'm sorry, I'm mm. sorry for your loss. I see you, I'm here for you. I'm thinking of you from the other side of the country. It's Tuesday, so let's just open a bag of sugar babies, right? Like. Dessert has this powerful, magical thing, and it's sitting right in front of us. Literally, it can come out of our cupboards at a moment's notice. It's around the corner at your local bakery. It'll show up at your doorstep. You can buy it in the aisles of the grocery store. And I think we just need a lot more of that intentionality and that spirit, but in this really sweet way. Like mm. dessert can perform miracles if we let the spirit of dessert, and I mean, I have a sweet too, so the mm. physicality of dessert does a lot for me as well, but. It's a really powerful thing. And I think that's a really fun part about building business too, right? Like the thing that you do may not be saving lives, but it does something that makes lives better. And I think mm. it, that's a really important part of like finding the core of what you do and why you do it, whether it's in how you organize and inspire your team to how you keep yourself and your imagination well-fed as an entrepreneur and a leader. But I would venture to think that anyone that's in like on their entrepreneurial journey, that there's something about what they do that makes the world better, makes people's lives better. For me, dessert can save the world. Man, I love that a lot. And the, you know, the, here's the wild part. We started with your first sweets memory and I'm gonna play back to you what I think I've heard. And that is such an accurate representation of what you're doing in the world, mm -hmm. right? So you're a little girl, you're in the back seat, and you're in your mom's everyday car. Mm. And you're, it's, your mom decided to pause life, pull over, and share a moment with the people that were around her that she was entrusted with, that she loved. And she took something that was maybe unfamiliar, but was her special thing. And she knew that if she just paused life and she sort of shared that with, with you all, she maybe didn't know that it was gonna make a memory, but it really changed the way you look at the world. And I think that that is one of the things that is really beautiful about your story and about what you're doing and what why it means so much to you, why it means to so much to your team, what it means to the community that you're building is that family matters, but who we're around and who we decide to share with really, really matters. And the thing is, is that I love that you are creating things that create the connection that allow people to share what they love and to share what they care about and to share it with who they love. 
you know? And I, I do think desserts can save the world, absolutely. <laughs> and it's, it's, a, it's really, I think it's a wonderful memory and a great capstone to like, you know, what you're doing and why it drives you, even though you're like, why do I remember that? Why? Right? You know, why is that the thing that I remember? And I think, I think if you uh, were to really sort of reflect on that, it is, it is a real life moment that embodies your purpose. Mm. You know what I mean? And I think every entrepreneur should have what is the thing that drives me and what is that uh, real life moment that embodies my purpose and why I exist and why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I have to say, hearing you unpack this whole story and to hear that, and, and I mean, there's some just vivid imagery just as we're talking of things that like are really special about your life. And I, I, I just, in my, in my mind, I just wanna say thank you for telling us the story, for sharing you know, the story with us, for coming all the way out here to unpack it and to be vulnerable and to kind of give everybody the, I mean, I got a good swift kick in the pants about like, you know, I need to check in on myself. I need to, I need to think about these things. So I just want to say thank you for coming and for spending time with us. Thank you. Yeah. I yeah. had a blast. You did? It's like a therapy session a Is little it? bit. Well, you know what it's like as an entrepreneur. You don't have you don't you don't ever give yourself the time to really slow down. I have the check-ins, but the check-ins are, you know, they're random, you know. I'm definitely gonna have a check-in on the airplane. Yeah, you know what like, I mean? Hmm. Of like, ooh, that was good. Yeah. That was really good. Yeah, well, good. But any opportunity to think about these things and to sort of force yourself to express them again, like. And this is never what I thought I would mm. be doing for a living. And I think that's both like thrilling and keeps me on my toes and keeps me uncomfortable mm. and sort of get to figure out how to say it out loud, girlfriend, because there's about to be a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Those are all like, that's the brilliance of it. Anyone that anyone that sort of like gives the like, no, I know what I'm doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, mm. You want the people that are going to give it to you and yeah. the like, oh, I only know what I know. Yeah. I've only ever and known only what me. I know. That's it. And and everything else, there's either a little breadcrumb of trails from the past to the present, or I'm a, I'll, I'll learn it tomorrow. Mm. I'll learn it tomorrow. Mm. Here we go. That's so good. Well, I have like 10 rapid fire questions. Okay, I'm ready. All right, first one. When was a time that you were experimenting in the kitchen and it did not go well? Mm, a lot of those. Sweet side? Sweet side. Sure. Should, let's, mm -hmm. let's narrow it down. Otherwise, what you're going to get a whole. What was no good? <laughs> Please tell me there was nitrogen involved. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that, this is like probably 10 years old, but it still haunts me to this day because I was like, this should be good. Um, we were doing a line for Halloween of soft serve flavors that were like different Halloween candies. And it's still to this day, like gummy bear soft serve should be delicious. It should. It's absolutely not. It's not even close. Sour Patch Kid is delicious. Okay. A lot of other things. Fireball soft serve, delicious. That's not delicious. I also tried to make um, a stuffing flavored soft serve once. Thanksgiving themed soft serves, right? I you love know, it. Sweet potato pie. You know, like you can think, you can come up with lots stuffing. of really great stuffing flavored soft serve. It's like seasoned breadcrumb sort of, maybe it wasn't bad, it was weird. I think sometimes the difference between a good idea and something that makes it to the menu is like a American cheese cheesecake on a Ritz cracker crust with the green tomato sorbet. I thought it was delicious, but you you need an editing panel to tell you whether or not the dessert is gonna make the connection. It might make the connection for you, but if you're here to serve others and make mm -hmm. that community connection at Milk Bar, yeah. certain things don't make it to the menu. You're like, we do some receptivity testing <laughs> to make sure people like Turns it. Turns out me and two people think American cheese cheesecake is dose, a good idea. Dose people, okay, got it, <laughs> got it. What successful dessert surprised you the most in your business? God, that's such a great question. I think it's the birthday cake, and I'll tell you why. It's got a lot of attention. Yeah, it, it surprised me the most. So think about the fact that it's been on the menu for 14 years, yeah. now, right? Got people to trust the fact that the cakes are unfrosted on the sides, and that's okay, because you can, you know, it's an invitation in to eat. But my mom was a working mom. She would always make like the box Funfetti cake mix, right? Pillsbury Funfetti cake mix in the tub of frosting. And I always thought that that was a little bit of my like dirty dessert secret thing. It was what showed up for my birthday every year, but I didn't think it was like a thing that other people would find their truth in. <laughs> and so figuring out, we spent two years figuring out how to like decompose, like deconstruct it and how to figure out how to make it from scratch. 
but the power of this grocery store memory, this Pillsbury grocery store memory and what it does for people. Again, like it is the honor of a lifetime. Mm -hmm. People are like, that's my cake. But even more so, it's not just that it's their cake because it's received attention, it's their cake because they're like, my mom used to make that for my birthday too, right? Like when you when you talk about like what dessert has surprised me and its power to move people and connect people and make them feel seen. Mm. It's the birthday cake. Don't forsake the birthday cake. Wow, what a quote. What entrepreneur really inspires you? Mm. I think the entrepreneur that really inspires me is are the entrepreneurs that are listening to this podcast, right? It's It's the people that are in it that are trying to figure it out. I think that there is nothing more inspiring than that. It's not actually like the the ones that we know as the successful entrepreneurs. I think they're incredible, but I get I place so much value in the people that are doing the work right this second. I think that there is nothing more inspiring or more motivating and that makes me feel like I'm not alone in the world. That's far more powerful to me than anyone else though mad respect to everyone that's done it and really crushed it it's it's the it's the, the people everyday. that aren't seen that are doing in there doing the work i love that i i uh i think that's a a really good answer and it's a really special one i, I don't have any more rapid fire questions but i just want to say thank you for sharing with us thanks for coming to the studio and what a special time it was with you uh, and uh hope this, to do it again this cake truffle is going to save your monday chris <laughs> tell you what <laughs> totally trying it that's what we're going next Thanks for coming. Thank you for listening to the Entrepreneur Studio Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a positive review on Apple Podcasts. And remember, you can watch the full unedited version of this conversation on our YouTube channel at the Entrepreneur Studio.